Good morning. Everyone doing okay? <laughs> that one hour is, you know, sucked the life completely out of you. The good news is, is you get more sunlight today. That's a positive thing, right? Lord knows I need more of that. Um, on that note, so, so last night, my wife came to the five. She usually comes to the seven. And she sent me a text after the five. Uh, she said, I, I'm worried about you. Are you okay? And I was like, why? And she said, well, you didn't tell any kind of funny story or anything at the beginning of service. Is everything all right? And I actually did have quite a bit on my mind. And I, at the five, I just kind of jumped into it. And um, at the seven, I corrected that. And I told a story, which I'm going to tell you guys. And uh, it reveals kind of the ugliness of my heart a little bit, but that's okay. In the spirit of transparency, I'm going to tell you. So last Sunday, a week ago from today, uh, myself and, and Andrew King, who comes to church here, um, we went to go see Batman. And then a lot of the people who work here, Kyle and a bunch of other people, they were also seeing Batman. We we're in the same theater. And so uh, it was a good movie. Movie started at eight. And then after the trailers, you know, it's like 840. And um, the movie's finally starting. <laughs> and you've already eaten all your popcorn and drank one soda, and now you're like, I gotta go to the bathroom, you know, and the movie's starting. But um, anyways, so uh, the joys of getting older. And um, I noticed that as the movie was starting, and if this was you, I'm sorry, but I'm doing this for your good too, there was a couple that had brought their, I'm guessing, five-year-old and about three-year-old into a PG-13 movie that is pretty violent, and, you know, it's, it's school night, so it's like, anyways, but... They're sitting there, and, and the kids were actually really good, but I'm, the, I'm thinking of the psychological effects that are going to take place, uh, the counseling, you know, for being subjected to these things as a four-year-old or five-year-old. And Anyway, so um, we're sitting there, Andrew's to my right, and I have, uh, there's probably four or five 20-something-year-old guys that I didn't know sitting to my left. And um, the movie's done, and, and um, the kids are like in their PJs, and they're, you know, going out with their... And me, because what happens at about 11.30 now is, is, is old cranky Corey starts to come out about, about 11.30 now. And so I looked at the four or five 20-somethings next to me, and I was like, hey, you guys got kids? And they're like, nope, no, sir. And I'm like, well, that's good. When you do have kids, don't bring them to movie theaters that get out at 11.30 at night on a school night, especially if it's PG-13, right? And they were like, you know, <laughs> kind of like, who is this guy? And then one of them goes, hey, you pastor the experience, don't you? And I was like... <laughs> And my first impulse was to say no. Um, but I can't because the only T-shirts I own are church shirts. So I'm wearing like a raise a hallelujah shirt or something. I'm like, yes, you know, good evening, fellas. And so I just, I got out as quick as I could, you know. So um, if that was you, I'm sorry. Yeah, don't applaud that. I'm a, uh, that's a, I'm a terrible person. Don't, don't applaud when I do things like that. It's bad. I should learn from that. So uh, anyways, <laughs> we are in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you've never been here, we work through whole books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, line by line. And um, we're in a very fascinating one right now, and I say this every week, but just in case you haven't been here, the book of 1 Corinthians is a letter written from Paul to a church in southern Greece. It was written to a group of people who were born-again Christians. They, they believed in Jesus. They had access to the Word of God, and they had access to good Christian leadership. They had all the tools that they needed to live correctly, right? The problem was, is that this group of Christians in Southern Greece were turning from the ways of God, and they were going back to following the ways of their culture. I'm on this big culture kick right now, I guess because Americans' culture is so anemic and disastrous right now, but I'm on this big kick of culture. And so they were turning from the ways of God, 
and they were following the ways of their culture. And because of that, all kinds of problems were going on within the Christian community in Southern Greece. So as we've been working through for the last, I don't know, two months or so through the book of 1 Corinthians, we did half of chapter seven last week, and it is mostly about sex, marriage, divorce, relationships, but what it's really talking about is that wherever God has us right now in our life, single, married, poor, rich, whatever the case may be, that we are to be honoring God in whatever condition we are in, and that we are to be present, aware. And one of the things we talked about last week is if we're not present, right, if we're not cognizant of what is going on around us, we don't see the things that God wants to do in our life, and we may miss things like our children growing up or the beauty of our marriage or just the beauty of the nature around us, that if we are not present, if we are not cognizant, right, we are missing things that God has placed in our life. That's what we talked about last week. Now we're gonna finish up chapter seven, and if you have read ahead of me, you're probably like, how in the world is this half of chapter seven relevant in my life? Because it's mostly about people getting engaged. And unless you're engaged, you're probably like, I don't see the connection, but it's really not about that. What the second half of chapter seven is really about is how do we make wise decisions in life? When it comes to big decisions, the example he uses is who you're gonna get married to and when you get married, right? But the application of today applies to any big decisions in your life. Moving, starting a new career, right? Maybe it is a relationship, whatever the case may be. But today, what we're gonna talk about is logic and reason and practicality. Now, the beauty of the Christian faith, if you are new in here and you're not a Christian, one side that is beautiful about the Christian faith is the supernatural side of things, right? That we are not bodies with spirits, we are spirits with bodies. We are spiritual creatures. And there is a very spiritual side of our relationship with God, right? I think it is impossible to see the world right now and not believe that there is spiritual warfare. There are spiritual things happening all around us, right? We are spiritual beings. The other side that is beautiful about our faith is the Bible and God himself, I think, are very logical. They're very practical, very applicable. The beauty of this book is, yes, the spiritual side, but it's also there is just good, practical, day-to-day -day information in this book. And today is one of those days where we're gonna talk about simple practical things. And where we're going to end is this balance of spiritual, right, the supernatural, and truth, the practical application of our relationship with God. We're going to talk about that balance between those two, okay? So you should have got a notes handout when you walked in. Everything I'm going to say will be in there. Everything will be on the screens. If you have a Bible, we're right after the book of Romans. We're in the book of 1 Corinthians in verse 25 of chapter 7 is where we will start, and if you have the app, just click on Sermon Notes. Everything is there, Scripture and the notes for today, okay? So let me pray. We'll dive into this, and um, we'll see what happens. Very, very simple, very, very practical stuff, okay? Father, Lord, we love you. Um, God, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the supernatural side of our relationship with you, God, and we also thank you for the very practical day-to-day -day application side of our relationship with you. I pray that you keep your hand on our church, Lord, this morning. I pray that you keep your hand on our other campuses, all the churches and the cities where we are, God, that you would bless them. We pray for all the nonprofits we work with. We pray, Lord, that we can be a light in our communities like 
with our community cleaning day and all the work we do, God, with nonprofits. Father, I pray that everything we discussed this morning, Lord, that it, that it blesses you, and that I pray that it helps us and sharpens us to, to live day to day in a way that honors you, God. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. Paul says, now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I do give an opinion is one who by the Lord's mercy is faithful. Because of the present distress, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? That means engaged. Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. However, if you get married, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But such people will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. Okay, Paul starts off by saying, this is not straight from God, this is my opinion. But I love what Paul does here. He says, but I am one that is faithful to God by the Lord's mercies. So what he's essentially saying is this. He goes, listen, this is my opinion, but I'm older I have a great relationship with Jesus. I met Jesus on the road to Damascus. I, I, I am able to speak wisdom into you. So though this is not a heaven or hell conversation, Paul says you should probably take my opinion into account. And that brings up the importance of all of us in this room having older, wiser people that speak into our lives. Patriarchs, matriarchs, mentors, elders, whatever you wanna call them, right? It is very wise for us to be humble and listen to people who are older and maybe closer to the Lord than we are. So here's the thing. The Bible is the ultimate authority. At the end of the day, do what this book tells you to do. This is the mind of God on paper. But God sends us shepherds, right? Again, patriarchs, matriarchs, sends us people to help guide us through this life even if it's not a heaven or hell thing, just to help us make better decisions and for life to be a little bit smoother. So the topic that Paul was dealing with was getting married and how sometimes people rush into a big decision like this. So he says that in the, in the middle of this present distress, and we're not exactly sure what that is, but more than likely it's talking about a famine that was going on in Greece at that time, which was causing a lot of economic difficulty. And what Paul was saying is, okay, look, you could get married right now, but there's a famine and there's an economic crisis and maybe it would be wise if you just wait a little bit before you take this step. Think of 2020, right? When, when COVID was going on, there was tons of people that had booked marriage venues and they had made all these plans and because of the present distress, uh, they had to put those things off, which was probably wise, right? Because you want your parents to be able to be in the same room with you, as you when you get married, right? And so you don't wanna do it like virtually. And so some people waited because the timing wasn't right. So the point isn't marriage or career decisions or whatever. The point is, is that timing matters in whatever big life decision we're going to make. The timing is important. And so in this specific case, Paul's advice was, why don't you wait a little bit? Don't rush into this. He goes, you may be able to get married and it's not a sin, it may not be wrong to, but it's gonna be a lot more trouble for you. That's like if someone walks up to me and you think it's funny, but it's happened in the past. People walk up there and it's like, Corey, I met this girl, I wanna marry her. I'm like, well, how long have you known her? About a month. 
what's her middle name? I'm not, I don't know, but I love her. And I'm like, you should probably know that middle name, right? Um, that's why we have in our procedures here at the church, we will not marry a couple unless they've been dating at least nine months. Any good psychologist will tell you, you don't even know the character of a person until you've known them very, very well for at least nine months. So is it a sin for you to marry that girl you met last week, right? Like at the go-kart place? No, I guess it's not a sin. <laughs> it's the first thing that popped into my mind. Oh. <laughs> Though it may not be a sin for you to get into that, the Bible says it might be a tough road for a while, right? Um, because listen, God wants your first couple of years as a newlywed couple to be fun and enjoyable. And of course, there's always issues. But if, if you will take your time and go through premarital counseling and seek the counsel of wise people and pray about it, maybe you won't have to go through so much turmoil, right, at the beginning of your marriage. That's what this is practically speaking of. So it may not be sinful to rush into certain big decisions, but lacking patience and wisdom just make may, life, uh, may make life more difficult. And Paul says, we, we want to spare you of that. We want to help you with that. We don't want it to be difficult all the time. So timing matters. Okay, I think we all agree with that. So how do we know what good timing is? Here's a novel idea for Christians. Pray. Pray about it. And so what we do, and I say this often, but it's the truth, unfortunately, and I've done it too, we all do it, is oftentimes as Christians, we make a big decision and then we ask for God to sign off on the decision we've already made. And then we wonder why we have so many failures in life. Because when we're not living in the will of God, we're destined to fail. And on the contrary, Bible says, whatever you pray for in Jesus's name, you will receive, which means whenever we ask God's will and we live in God's will, we succeed. Right? We get those things. So I suggest if you're thinking about a big decision, pray about it. Pray for wisdom. Seek God's will for your life, right? You know, God, I really want to move to Tacoma, Washington. Is that in your will, God? Is that what you want for me? And submit to that. Here's the other thing. When you're praying about things, all things, anything, we also have to be living righteously in order for those prayers to be effective, there are oftentimes people will come to me and they're just like, man, I've been praying about this thing, but God's not doing it. And I'm like, are you living righteously? Because when we're living in sin, but we ask God to do something, God is not concerned about moving to Tacoma, Washington. God wants to make sure that you eventually move to heaven in eternity one day. So we gotta deal with that sin first. Praying and asking God for things while living in sin is like trying to tune into a radio station without an antenna. It does not work. It doesn't, that's Bible, that's James 5.16. So pray. Second thing, read the Bible. Another novel idea for Christians. If we will just get in here, the Word has so much practical advice. So much practical advice. That's what the whole book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes is all about, is practical advice on life. And there's tons of it that Jesus speaks of, right? So the third thing is put wise, godly people around you. Wise and godly. Not like your girlfriends at the hair salon that tell you to cheat on your husband. That's not wise, godly counsel. Find someone older than you, wiser than you, that's lived a little bit of life, that you would aspire to be like them one day and ask their opinion, right? And have them pray with you about this situation. And if we do those things, we can make wise decisions, all right? Next part. This is what I mean, brothers and sisters, 
the time is limited. So from now on, those that have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though, that, those, as though they that did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they didn't own anything. And those who use the world as they did not make full use of it. For the world in its current form is passing away. I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he pleases the Lord. But the married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he pleases his wife, and his interests are divided. The unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, so that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But the married woman is concerned about the things of the world and how she pleases her husband. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is proper and so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. It's funny, the first time I read this, he said, this is what I mean. And I was like, I don't know what Paul means here. So I had to study it a little bit more because it sounds like all of these contradictions. Verse 29 through 31, if you were to take that literally, it says, men that have wives act like you have no wife. So whenever I hear Christians say the Bible is 100% literal, it is not. There is sarcasm in the Bible. There is hyperbole in the Bible. There is poetic voice in the Bible. And we just have to be wise enough and study enough to know when the Bible is using what kind of literary tactics that it's using. Here, this is hyperbole. This is poetic. If you were to take it as literal, you're saying, oh, the Bible says I'm supposed to act like I don't have a wife. Like, you guys ready for guys night? You know, like, that's not what the Bible is saying right there. What the Bible is saying in verse 29 to 31 is that we are to be cognizant of our eternity. Whether we're married, whether we're single, whether we're enjoying the things of this world or we're not, whatever the case may be, that we are to be thinking about our eternities. So marriage, sadness, material possessions, even the earth that we are standing on right now, we are to experience those things. There's nothing wrong with those things. But we also have to understand that those things will come to an end one day. So if we know as Christians that everything, the world in its present form is going to come to an end, we must be thinking about what comes after that, right? An eternal perspective. Paul also says that I don't want you to have concerns. Now listen, that does not mean that the Bible is saying don't be responsible or don't ever worry about anything, right? Whenever those people are just like, man, I'm too blessed to be stressed. Well, I'm like, then you must be lazy or something because there's stress in this life. Jesus was stressed when he was in the garden of Gethsemane. Are you saying you're better than Jesus? You're more blessed than he is? Give me a break. If we're normal, like, like rational people, sometimes life is stressful and hard and there are concerns. And Paul is not telling you, I don't want you to ever be concerned about anything because in this life, we're gonna have jobs. We're gonna have friendships and romance and hardships and responsibilities. And we're not to avoid these things. We're not to be careless or irresponsible with these things. We're to do what Jesus tells us in the book of Matthew. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all of these other things will be provided for you. That ultimately we put our trust in God and we put our trust in his commands and we have an eternal perspective. And when we have an eternal perspective, we live responsibly in this life because we understand how we live in this life affects us forever. 
And so we live with responsibility in preparation for the next life. Again, there is balance, 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 balance in the Bible. And oftentimes people misuse biblical things as an excuse to be lazy in life and irresponsible. Corey, can you pray for financial blessing in my life? Well, do you have a job? No, but man, I'm praying that God comes through. He did come through. He gave you arms, legs, right? A brain to use, and there's lots of jobs right now. Go get one, and you'll be shocked at how easy it is to, to pay your bills. It's, it's, but we have to do something about that. We have to be responsible. Even like people are like, man, I pray for my neighbors. I pray for them. I'm really glad you're, you, you pray for them. Have you met them yet? Have you, have you built a relationship with them? It's like when people get saved and they hit cruise control, and that is not the Bible. Salvation is actually, that's the gate, man. That's where we start. That's where we start running. That's where we start working for the Lord. That's when we start producing good works, as the Bible says. It's not time to coast. In fact, the Bible tells us that we are not only to work hard, we're to work as unto the Lord that your work and how you work as a ministry. The Bible says not to be slothful in business. The Bible says that we're to love people, to be responsible, to pay your bills on time, to do your homework, right? I got you, parents. To witness to people that don't know Christ. And we're also called to enjoy the things of this world as long as it's not sinful. That's what the whole book of Ecclesiastes is about, to enjoy the wonderful things that God has placed, but we need to not make idols of the things in this world. We're to enjoy life without becoming idol worshipers. What happens is if we seek first the kingdom of God, all of our priorities start to naturally work out. The problem is not ambition. The problem is not money or success. The problem is not being an attractive person or being physically fit. None of those things are wrong. What's wrong is when those things take precedent over God. That's when those things become wrong, right? When our priorities are out of whack. So what we have to do to make sure that our priorities are in the, in the proper position is we have to be devoted to the Lord, Paul says, without distraction. We have to, listen, we have to choose to make time to build a relationship with Christ. Now, I don't have any time, Corey. Pull out your phone, swipe to the right, and see how many hours a day you spend on that device, and then come back and tell me how little time you have. You have it, it's just not a priority to put it in God. I get a kick out of people who are like, man, there's only 20, you know, you know I, don't, I don't have time. You know that everyone who's ever existed only has 24 hours in a day, right? Astronauts have the same amount of time that you and I have. They just prioritize a little bit different than, differently than we are. That, that everyone you meet has the same amount of time in a day. It's what we do with that time. And so we have to be willing to alter our behavior for the sake of honoring God. We have to be willing to alter our behavior, our actions. We may have to schedule things out and put prayer time in our phone and turn off the radio and listen to the Bible on the way to work or whatever the case may be in order to see things through a biblical lens. And it's fascinating, speaking of eternal perspective, that when we deliberately focus on Jesus, it is amazing how much we see things differently. If we're focused on Jesus, if we seek first the kingdom of God, work is not just a paycheck. Work is a way in which I honor God. When we, when we put God at the head of everything, when we seek first the kingdom of God, it's not just that person that lives in the house next door to me. This is someone that God has put next to me so I can, I can be a blessing to them, so I can get to know them, right? So I can share things with them and help them if, I, if, if they need my help. 
that everything, that my children are not a burden and an inconvenience, that God has given me this wonderful gift that I, to, I am into instill in them the principles of God and raise them in the ways of the Lord, that my marriage is not an inconvenience, right? And so all these different things, our perspective on everything changes when we are deliberately focusing on God, okay? Last part. If any man thinks he is acting improperly toward the virgin he is engaged to, if she is getting beyond the usual age for marriage and he feels he should marry, he can do what he wants. He's not sinning. They can get married. But he who stands firm in his heart, I love this, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will and has decided in his heart to keep her as his fiance will do well. So then he who marries his fiance does well, but he who does not marry will do better. A wife is bound as long as her husband is living, but if her husband dies, she is freed to be married to anyone she wants, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is, in my opinion. I think Paul just said right there that, that, that women don't need a man, right? I think that's what verse 40 said. At least that's what I'm gonna tell my, my daughters, right? And I think that I also have the Spirit of God. So again, what Paul is speaking of here is logic and reason and wisdom. Paul tells men that instead of prolonging engagements, what he's saying is, let's say you got engaged, this engagement's been going on for a really, really long time, this woman is getting older, it's becoming to where it's, it's, it's almost older than what most people get married at. He says, marry her, right? Like, like do this, don't, don't make her wait forever, get married to her. Now his assumption and what we can presume is that if this man is a Christian, he has prayed about it, he has sought wise counsel about marriage, and that the timing is right. Now listen, this applies to everything. Let's go back to the you moving to another state analogy. If you have prayed about it, if you have asked your family and your friends and elders or matriarchs or patriarchs in your life, you know, do you think it's wise for me to move to Washington State? If, if doors seem to be opening, right? Maybe someone gives you a job offer out there. Go for it, right? Paul is saying, that's fine. Take that step if you want to. If you have, if you have prepared and doors seem to be opening, go for it, right? You're, you're not sinning. Go for it. And, but what Paul is trying to teach us is, whatever the big decision is in our life, God wants us to be confident about it. He wants us to be settled, not compulsive, not impulsive. So another thing Paul is saying is, if you want to marry your wife, if she's you know, getting up in age, whatever that, that natural age was in their time, go ahead and marry her. That's fine. And then he says, but if you want to wait a little bit longer and pray about it, that's fine too. That's fine. His point is, be thoughtful about your decisions, not impulsive about your decisions. Why is that important? Gosh, everyone listen to me in here just for a second. Impulsivity is not a thing of God. What, that, I'm talking about when it comes to big decisions. I can be impulsive sometimes when I go to the movie theater and I'm like, okay, not Batman, let's watch this instead. Oh, impulse, right? And we go see something else. That's fine, that's not what I'm talking about. But when we make big life decisions with compulsion, it is not really reflecting a characteristic of God because God is a God of order and compulsion typically 
when it comes to big life decisions, hurts people and causes chaos. And God is not about hurt and he's not about chaos. So whenever we make big decisions, right, without seeking wise counsel, without praying, without, as the Bible says, counting the cost, like if we buy a $65,000 truck, but we have nothing set aside for our children's future. Everyone awake? But I need the truck. You need a $65,000 truck? And you haven't prepared anything for your children? Do you know the Bible says a good man leaves an inheritance for his grandchildren? Do you know the Bible says that? It's in the book of Proverbs. That if we are impulsive, and in America, we need everything. We don't need everything. We have a lot of wants that take precedent in our life. And typically those impulsive wants end up hurting our children, end up hurting our marriages, end up hurting our family, end up hurting the people around us. But it's all about us in the United States, isn't it? Right? It's about what we want. So Paul goes back to marriage for a second. And he tells the Corinthians the same thing that he taught the Romans in chapter 7. You're to remain married to the same person until death do you part. And again, if you want more clarity on divorce, if you go to the first part of chapter seven, if you wanna go back and listen to that, there are times when divorce is permissible, right? But you're still, unless there is a permissible reason, you are to stay in marriage until death do you part. Now, in Paul's culture, in Roman culture, um, open marriages and adultery were, were extremely common. Just a little history lesson for you. In Roman era in the first century, this was written about 55 AD, it was very, very common for a man to know that his wife had three other lovers and be okay with it because he had three or four other lovers as well. Um, sex was off the charts in the Roman Empire during the first, well, really the first three centuries or so and caused a lot of damage. So Paul was so groundbreaking because Paul shows up in Rome where everyone's having sex with everyone and he goes, you know, God only wants you to have sex with one person for the rest of your life. Everyone's like, what? It was very countercultural, right? But that's what Paul brought to the table. So Paul goes on to say that if uh, a widow or if someone for the first time is getting married, that they have to marry another believer. Now listen, if you're a parent in this room and you're teaching this to your kids, don't just tell your kids do this and don't do that. Explain to them why this is important. Paul says only marry someone in the Lord. The reason why this is important and commanded several times in the New Testament that a believer should not marry a non-believer is because in Genesis 2.24, it says that when you get married, you become one flesh. And you're supposed to go in the same direction. In the book of 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians, it says we are unequally yoked when we get together with the non-believer. And what that literally means in agricultural terminology is if you were to plow a straight line and you were to put two oxen next to each other and put a yoke on the both of them to plow a straight line, if one is really strong and one is really weak, it's going to get off course. Just like in a marriage, if one is spiritually strong and one is spiritually weak, right? It's going to get off course. So if you're a younger person here, or maybe you're not a younger person, and you are thinking about marrying someone and they are not a believer in Jesus Christ, it is against the Bible for you to do so. That's about as clear and black and white as I can possibly be on that. Now, if two non-believers get married and one of them becomes a Christian, go back to the earlier part of this chapter. Paul recommends that they do stay together because the non-believer can be hopefully one to Christ through the believing spouse. So Paul concludes by saying, this is his opinion. 
But I love what he says at the very end of this chapter. He says, but I have the spirit of God in me, which means though this is my opinion, I am close to Jesus, I am older than you, I am wise, you would be really smart to take my opinion into account. That's what Paul is saying there. And almost one of the biggest things about this chapter is this. Even when there is no sinful choice, there are still stupid choices. Seriously, listen to that. It is not a sin for you to impulsively buy that $65,000 truck, but it may be a stupid decision if you cannot pay your electric bill. This is, it's not a sin, it's just really, really dumb. And it's gonna make life very, very hard if you make impulsive decisions like that. It may not be a sin for you to marry the girl, right, that you met last month, but I'm gonna go ahead and guarantee you, right, from seeing many people who've gone through it, your first couple of years of marriage are gonna be really difficult. And I would rather you enjoy your first couple of years of marriage, all your years of marriage, right? But, it, but especially those first couple of years, those newlywed years, enjoy that, right? So here's the thing. What this chapter is telling us is that we must take personal responsibility. We live in a culture right now that, that has no teaching about personal responsibility. Everything is everyone else's fault except for yours. It's the president's fault, right? It's, it's, uh, it's TV's fault. It's uh, your parents' fault. It's your neighbor's fault. It's everyone's fault but yours. Let me tell you something. There's a clinical psychologist, I was reading some of his work this last week, and it was actually about this subject. And he said, whenever we treat people like they have no responsibility for the position they are in, listen, regardless if their parents were a factor, if the government was a factor, everyone in this room has some amount of responsibility we have to take for the position we are in. And if we treat people as Christians, if we treat people like they have had no they have had no influence on where they are, no responsibility on where they are. We have robbed that individual of all power to get out of that situation because we say everyone put you here and therefore everyone else must get you out. So if we tell people that, well, you're here because of Joe Biden, you're here because of this, you're here because of that, you're here because of your parents, you're here because of all these things, we have completely sucked the power out of everyone to make wise choices and get out of those situations. That's what we have done. And we do it all the time in our culture. Listen, at the end of the day, when we stand in front of Jesus Christ, right, the good and righteous judge, you're not gonna be able to blame your relationship with God on me. You're not gonna, listen, you're, you're not gonna be able to blame, you're not gonna be able to blame the choices you make on who is president. You're not gonna be able to blame the choices you make on your parents because the Holy Spirit of God equips us to live beyond all of those factors. And so when we stand in front of Jesus Christ, the good and righteous judge, he's gonna say, Corey, what did you do with your life? Well, well, my dad, right? Do you, do you know who we had for president those years? Jesus is gonna say, yes, but I'm not talking about your dad. I'm not talking about Donald Trump or Joe Biden. I'm talking about you, Corey. What did you do with what I gave you? I think Jesus told a couple of parables about such things. What did you do about that? We are going to be responsible for our relationship with God, with reading his word, with surrounding ourselves with wise people so we can make wise decisions. We're responsible for that. So when it comes to timing, though a decision may be good, it may also be premature. If God tells you that you are to move to Australia and save the entire continent for Jesus Christ, that's awesome. 
If he tells you that when you're 15 and you can't even drive yourself to the airport, it's not time yet. A young man several years ago, true, true story, long time ago, said, I am called to be a missionary in China. I said, that's a wonderful calling. Let me tell me about where you're at in life. I just graduated college. I have $80,000 in student debt. I said, you're not going to China anytime soon. You have to be responsible for the debt that you took out before you jump ship and run over to the other side of the world and save everyone. Your home is not in order yet. The timing, God may have told you that, but it's not the proper time. And though it may not be a sin to make a decision in haste, it may make life dramatically difficult. So what do we do? We pray, we read the word of God, we seek wise counsel, and we have to be humble enough to listen to the people around us. If every single one of your friends and your family and wise people in your life think that that guy is not good for you, you should probably take that to heart. You should probably think about that because they want what's best for you. If you're not feeling settled about a certain decision, don't move forward with it, right? Be wise about this. The timing is important. We're to also have an eternal mindset. What that means is this. We often forget this as Christians, that we are migrants passing through this life. The Bible tells us this that this life is not our final destination. Now listen, we're free to enjoy the things of this life. There's nothing wrong with you being ambitious or successful or buying a nice car or living in a nice, there's nothing wrong with any of that. Nothing wrong with you pursuing a relationship, nothing wrong with that. But as we enjoy the things of this life, God must always be what we seek first because if he's not, those other things become idols. It's like when Christians put more emphasis on their kids being athletes than they do followers of Jesus. Listen to me, parents of the South. I'm glad that your son or daughter is a fantastic ball player. I'm really, really glad about that. But if you have put more time, energy, and effort into them throwing a ball more than you have teaching them about the principles and, and, and education about Jesus Christ, shame on you. You have done a huge disservice to your children. No, no, wait, hold on, don't, don't, please. I'm being serious here for a second. And I know that offends some of you. But if you're constantly missing church, and if you're not taking the time to develop your children into followers of Jesus, I don't care if they get full ride scholarships to the greatest colleges on planet earth. I don't care if they go to the NBA or the NFL or the NHL or whatever and make millions and millions of dollars. I don't care if they get in the hall of fame. What good is it for one to inherit the entire world but lose their soul? That's Bible. So, so we are responsible. And if we do not teach our children to first seek the kingdom of God, we have failed. And if we're doing that in our own life, we are failing. Because listen, how we steward the time that we have right now, our time, our resources, our abilities, how we steward this life will determine what the afterlife looks like. Even if we squeak into heaven, our rewards on heaven are going to be different. I may be mowing some of your yards in heaven. I'm, I'm serious. We're not going to receive the same size mansions in heaven. And so I would ask you as one that claims to love Jesus more than anything, do I wanna just like squeak in right as the door is shutting? Or do I wanna be first in line? God, come on, let's, let's do this. I'm so excited to live with you forever. How we live now echoes forever, forever. 
forever. This is the only life you have. Listen, and if you think the, the, the climax of living is being TikTok famous, my God. But this is the culture we live in, guys. I'm not trying to be judgmental or condescending, but there are times I will look around and I will, and you're gonna think I'm just the biggest dirtbag in the world, but I, this is your life. This is what you're doing. God has given you breath in your lungs and blood in your veins, and, and we spend six hours a day on our phones. This is our life. This is our life, trying to get that perfect selfie or, or, or trying to make sure that I got a, a vice presidential thing beside my name tag so I can impress the people around me, that this is our life. This is what we've dedicated our entire being to, right? In this, in this facade of doing everything, so many people are doing nothing, nothing. And we're going to have to answer for that one day. How we live now will determine your eternity. So how do we do that? John 4, 24 tells us that we are to worship God in spirit and in truth. To, to break that down in the most simple terms, that means we worship God in our intellect and we worship God with our emotions. We worship God practically and we worship God supernaturally. We worship God with prayer and meditation and feeling, but we also worship God by the logic of his word. It is a balance of the two and where we struggle so much, even as Christians, right? Look at denominations. You have hyper charismatic people who roll on the floor and speak in tongues and all they do is worship and worship and worship. And I got nothing against the gifts of the spirit, nothing against worship, but there's no doctrine. There's no orthodoxy. There's no Bible in that. So people go nuts. Paul's going to talk about that in 1 Corinthians 14, right? The people think that they're crazy because they are a little crazy. And then you go to the other side, right? The hyper-legalistic or hyper-intellectual uh, hyper side that think all the gifts of the Spirit are strange fire. And there's a really famous Baptist guy that says that, and I think it quenches the Spirit and it's not of God. But anyways, there's this far extreme side that says any working of the Holy Spirit is, is, is not alive anymore and, and that it's, those things have ceased and they can contently, completely quench the Spirit. That's the other side of it. Too much truth without enough spirit. Too much spirit without enough truth. And the Bible says to bring both of those things together. You are fighting a spiritual war, right? But, but not every time you sneeze, that was the devil that made you do it. There might be dust in the air, right? So don't throw out either one. That we're to bring these things together and live in spirit and live in truth. And when we live in the balance of that spirit and truth, that's when we make wise decisions. That's when we live a life of balance, of peace, right? That's where we can think clearly. So let me ask you, do we have a tendency to rush into big decisions? Even if they're not sinful, do we have a tendency to rush into things, right? If we do have a tendency, are we praying for God to give us patience? Are we praying for peace? Are we praying for God to give us wisdom before making a big decision? Are we surrounding ourselves with good, godly people? Again, I always make the joke, like don't take food advice from a skinny person, right? Don't take financial advice from someone that's broke. Find people that you aspire to be like. Don't take theological advice from people that have never read the Bible. 
Don't do that. That's stupid, right? Well, I believe God is this. Where do you get that from? Show me that in the scripture, right? And if you can't, I don't want to hear your theological advice. Surround yourselves with good people and listen to them because what are the ramifications if we act impulsively? How does that change the trajectory of our future? I'm not talking about eternity. I'm just talking about life being hard. If we would slow down and think and pray more about the decisions we're about to make, how much easier would life be? When people are constantly in stress and everything else, and God's like, man, I could relieve some of that from you if you would just trust me with your decision-making a little bit. So listen, God does miraculous things. God may call you to go win the entire continent of Australia, but God's not going to call you and have you make a bunch of impulsive decisions and do a bunch of damage and be irresponsible because God is a God of order as well. So we are to live in that balance of spirit and truth. We are to live in that balance of supernatural faith, right? And also practical application. It's interesting. Jesus even said that one day people will say, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? That's the spiritual side, right? Casting out of demons. And then Jesus is gonna say, you did, but we didn't have a relationship, truth. It is both of those things. It is both the supernatural side of our faith, right? And also the practical application. It's like in chapter 13 when Paul says, I can speak in the tongues of angels, which listen, guys, I believe that gift still exists. We'll talk about that when I get into those chapters. But Paul goes on to say, I can speak in the tongues of angels, but if I don't love people, I'm just a bunch of noise. There is the spiritual and there is the practical. And those things have to be married. Do we understand that ultimately we are accountable for our choices? Listen, if you are a Christian in here, don't fall into the game of blaming everyone for everything that's going on in your life. Take some personal responsibility because I can assure you at the end of your life, you're not gonna be able to blame me. You're not gonna be able to blame your folks. You're not gonna be able to blame the government. You're gonna have to own the decisions you made. And if you're a Christian, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have all the tools necessary to make wise decisions. And that leads me to my last point. When it comes to big life decisions, guys, you are not alone. Not if you don't wanna be. You have the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the counselor, the guide, the one that guides you. You have the Holy Spirit with you. You have the church to help you. You have the word of God to help you. You're not alone in these big decisions but we need to slow down. In our, our American culture, it's now. I want it right now. And I have learned in, in, in getting older that this right now attitude tends to get us into a lot of trouble. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you are in this room, and maybe you're not a Christian or maybe you're a new Christian and you have questions. We are not afraid of questions. Up here, Pastor Savuda's up here. He does our evident ministry for college students here at the church. If you have any questions for Savut, he's at the right-hand corner of the stage. My right, your left. If you wanna come up and talk to him, he'd love to talk with you. We also have men and women on both sides of the stage. Now listen, if you have big decisions coming up, Maybe you're confronted with a, a job promotion or, or moving or 
uh, a career change or maybe there is a relationship you're in or whatever. I don't, it doesn't matter what it is. Come up here and let one of these men or women pray with you. And then the last thing is, all around this room, wherever you see a lamp on a table, there's bread and wine that represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ, communion. Now, if you're in this room and you have asked God to forgive you of your sins, you're a Christian, you're welcome to take communion. Here's what I would like you to think about today when you take communion, just for a moment. If you are sometimes reluctant or, or worried that you can trust God with your future, the Bible says that God gave his only son that even while we were sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. The way we know we can trust God with our future is the Bible says in the book of Jeremiah, he has good plans for you. He loves you. He wants to, as we read today, spare you from hardships, from, from, from things that you shouldn't have to worry about. So if you will trust him, if you will pray with him, if you'll talk to him, God will help you make big decisions. Father, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord. I thank you so much for this church. God, as we leave this place, we will be faced with chaos. We will be faced with confusion. We will be faced with talking heads and all kinds of noise. God, I pray that you give us the wisdom to, to cut out those distractions and focus on you. Lord, I pray, God, that, that we can honor you with our lives. God, that we can trust you with the decisions in our life. God, that we can rest in the peace, Lord, and, and, and the wisdom that you give us, God. Lord, bless everyone in this room, everyone watching at home. I pray that you keep us safe until we meet again. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you.